0: You may have a diversionary tactic of of 20 youths on the other side of the wall throwing stones over while somebody throws a ladder against the wall and jumps it.
1: This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. In this episode, we talk again with Paul Grant, the author of Coercion, the fourth book about the Schultz family who live in Berlin. His books are set at the end of the Second World War and the start of the Cold War. Coercion is set in 1962 against the backdrop of the Berlin Wall. And while it is still barbed wire and a fragile wall, escape attempts are frequent and these attempts are the major theme of paul's latest book if you can spare it i'm asking you to contribute at least three us dollars per month to help keep us on the air larger amounts are welcome too plus you get this year's most sought after household accessory the cold war conversations drinks coaster as a monthly financial supporter you also bask in the warm glow of knowing that you are helping preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. Co-host James conducts our chat and I'm delighted to welcome Paul Grant back to our Cold War Conversations. Before we begin this episode, I want to highlight our friends at the Cold War channel on YouTube. I've been watching their quality videos for some time and I highly recommend them. The videos are presented in an easily digestible format and cover some fascinating and sometimes little-known Cold War subjects. From the Kishtim disaster, the biggest nuclear disaster before Chernobyl, to the anti-Soviet guerrilla war in the Baltics. The episodes on Cold War TV provide a fantastic insight into areas of the Cold War not covered elsewhere. Just search for Cold War TV on YouTube. And now, back to our episode.
2: You're the author of four very good books set in Berlin, uh, Caught in the Mousetrap, Reaping the Whirlwind, Uprising, and Coercion, which is your latest book, uh, a book that I had the great privilege to read a pre-edition uh, version of and enjoyed it massively. But could you perhaps tell us uh, a little bit about how Coercion fits uh, with the other three books that you've written?
0: Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, Coercion set in, in, in 1962, so it's really about the... Um, at the time around um, the first year of the wall or the city being divided, so it's and almost the anniversary of of um, the 13th of August 1961 when the city was divided. So it's it's very much a a fluid and, uh, and very almost dangerous time in the city in terms of um, what was going on locally and also the the, the let's say the the geopolitics between. Uh, um, the Soviet Union uh, and the U.S. as well. But really, going back to the other books, I mean, Mousetrap uh, is, is as I said, is 61, and that is set over sort of a week, 10 days, um, when the city was divided. So it's, it, it's um, very much in the early days when the Berlin Wall wasn't really the Berlin Wall. It was uh, um, uh, maybe one roll of barbed wire with... Um, tanks um, and a lot of personnel, uh, maybe two rolls of barbed wire, and then you start with the, let's um, say, rudimentary uh, first-generation um, breeze-block walls, which is what leads into, if you like, a coercion from there. Reaping the Whirlwind is, is actually going back in time. It's, it's a prequel to um, uh, the second in the series, if you like. It's, it's a prequel to uh, Caught in the Mousetrap. So that's set in... Um, Stalingrad and in Russia, um, and also of course in Berlin. For, so it's 1942, and then going on the last days of of um, of the war as the Russians close in on Berlin with the, uh, let's say the Schultz family uh, very much in the midst of the uh, of the storm, so to speak, and then uprising, which is is the third in the series. Um, perhaps uh, the title tells its own story. Mm-hmm. It's about the the workers' uprising. Um, it was, of course, all over East Germany, not just in in Berlin, but it, it, it's mainly set in Berlin and around that time. So, so coercion then is is um, it's it's the sequel to the first book in the series uh, because it's sixty uh, two after sixty one. But um, it can I think it can be read alone. It, there's no uh, as a standalone um, uh, novel. I think it's also um, you can. You see a lot of TV serials now. You, you read a lot of books where actually they fill in the backstory afterwards. So if, if you wanted to read coercion, it's really possible to go back and read the other books afterwards to find out about the characters and, and where they fit into the story. Um, and they all appear at different times, sometimes as a main character in one of the books, and sometimes as a more you know minor character in, in some of the books. So that's uh, that's really how they all fit together. Um, I, It's one, two, three, and four. You don't have to read them in that order. You can read them really as you like, I would say.
2: So what is going on in Berlin in 1962 that made it uh, such a good place in which to set a book?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, if you're interested in the Cold War, of course, many of your listeners are and and, are. I've listened to a lot of the podcasts, which are absolutely fantastic. Such a varied um, number of, of different people, such a varied number of topics, and 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 my interest is, you know, I'm a bit biased. It's, it's really about um, mainly about Berlin, but but obviously the Cold War stretched to many continents and many different places. So in '62, um, it, it's it's a time when w- if you know about the history, you kind of take it for granted. Everybody realizes the wall was there, and it was seen as, in, in later years, it was something which was immovable, and it was a. Uh, um, it's almost like it it had all, always been there, um, but of course it, now it's been down longer than it was actually um, there for. Um, but it, it's also in those days it was it was very early. And there were many people who were ready to challenge, um, let's say, the the, the legitimacy of the wall. Um, Many of the West Berliners, for example, some people in East Berlin who who were trying to get out. um, Even at the time, in in sort of August '61, you read a lot of the the, the first-hand um, um, accounts, and people are were quite relaxed about it. In, in some ways, um, many of the East Berliners they said, "Well, it, it won't last long. It's happened before. It's the war, you know, the, the, the city from time to time was divided before '61. You know, the, the the a lot of the checkpoints, not so much checkpoints, but at least the the border areas were closed off for a short length of time. And many, a lot of people thought that would just be the case, but." As the the months went by from sort of August into the winter, 61, 62, uh, and the the barbed wire became, you know, let's say very rudimentary and and poorly put together breeze block walls uh, with, with, you know, the Y frames on the top, which is essentially where we are. If you've ever seen the pictures of the Berlin Wall, um, you're looking at that first generation wall with a breeze block, You probably, you may have seen some of the pictures with the kids looking through the cracks in the concrete, the walls. Um, You've got a kind of wide frame on the top with three or four strands of barbed wire. That's what the wall looks like at this time, more often than not in most places. Of course, in some places it's a a waterway. Um, It could be in um, a forest area, but essentially... Uh, It is this kind of rudimentary breeze block in in, in a lot of areas by this time. So six months on, nine months on, people are getting used to it, but not liking it. Um, You've got, let's say, um, you've got a very, there's still something like, I would say, um, 50 to 60 people a week escaping across so a handful of people have every day escaping across the border one way or another um people are being shot at um mm-hmm. there's often incidents of the border where youths in west berlin are throwing things over the wall at the guards mm-hmm. stones um uh, different things sometimes that's a prelude to a very um let's say um Well, it's not unsophisticated um, escape attempt. You may have a diversionary tactic of of 20 youths on the other side of the wall, throwing stones over while somebody throws a ladder against the wall and jumps it. It, it, It's so much like this at this time. Often the West Berlin police are are firing tear gas back at the the East Berlin police, the the VOPOs and the the Border Guards. it, it, it's a ta- it's a time of of great fluidity and a time when there was a challenge to what was there, which meant, of course, the authorities in East Berlin, as they were, absolutely determined mm. to stop all escapes. Um, as I said, fifty to sixty people a week versus two to three thousand people, um, let's say, at any one time at Marienfeld during 1961, which led them to, cl- to actually close the border. So very different numbers, of course. But, you, 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 I mean, to know the the, the sort of lengths that the, the East Germans would go to to ensure that these um, escapes or attempted escapes or anything else were stopped were, were quite, were very lengthy, were very um, meticulous. Uh, petty at, at times um, it, it, it really is quite an unbelievable time in, in, in terms of, it's, it's almost fanatical the lengths they go to to stop and to prevent these types of, uh, of escapes um, there's there's still a fear I think within the East, the East German regime of rebellion mm-hmm. um, you know the, the 1953, the events of 1953 are very much still in the mind so they use the the mfs to to to, to flood and i don't think that's that's an underestimate uh, it's not something which is is uh exaggerated to flood let's say west berlin with informants um be they let's say small-time villains uh people who've been stopped on the border with contraband um, you know maybe more uh, better trained um, uh, agents but these people were let's say pushed off into West Berlin to um, find find out about escape attempts to listen to gossip uh, to be around the border um, really to, to get a, a raft of information and really they were in many ways, um, you know, quite successful in doing that because, you know, a lot of the tunnels, a lot of the sewer escapes, a lot of the uh, just general escapes and families getting ready to leave because they've been, you know, uh, uh, escape attempts have been organised, um, they were aware of it increasingly because they had such um, um, quite, I would say, vast number of informants at different levels, some, let's say, not so reliable, but some quite reliable um, across West Berlin. And I think that's something which you can't underestimate. There was a, this paranoia within the East German regime which was able to, uh, to, to, to to get to know about a lot of these tunnels, a lot of these uh, projects that were going on um, during this time. So it, it, we're in a really um, fluid period, something that was something very um, it, it, I suppose it felt temporary at the time uh, and from both sides or, or certainly from from the, the, the DDR side they were trying to make it permanent because they wanted to stop the flood of, 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 of refugees uh, and uh, make sure uh, they solved their problem and, and uh, say uh, continued with uh, hopefully building their own economy and, and building their own fledgling country which it was fledgling at this time really fledgling and then um, You know, on the the West Berlin side, you had people, you know, missing families, um, denied the right to to study. You know, you had very intelligent people in East Germany who were carrying out menial tasks, you know, compared to their education um, because they were, let's say, Seen as border crossers in, in August 1961 and, and, and before that time, and, and they were they were punished, you know, in a very harsh and um, uh, strong way to to to, uh, to to not be able to um, to continue their studies. So a lot of the a lot of the tunnel projects and the escape attempts were made by students um, and, and around the I think it's Technical University at that time to be able to get students and colleagues out of East Berlin to be able to continue their studies because they'd be denied the right to go to university in East Germany at that time. So that's, if you like, the the East German side of it. From the West German side, you've got um, um, the mayor of Berlin, uh, Willy Brandt, who was, um, let's say, I think he said something like, we'll protect the west berliners but we won't protect the wall so there was a clear uh, guideline to the west berlin police that they were to help the escapers when they ha- when they happen at this time so so between 61 uh, from august 61 onwards there was a a very clear guideline it, it, it very much changed afterwards because of the danger and let's say the, the uh, some of the tragic events that that happened afterwards. But this time, you know, the West Berlin police were essentially told and armed to be able to help uh, escape uh, when it happened, when these events happened. So it's, and of course, then you've got the Americans and the Russians, the Americans who were very, uh, let's say the allies, but essentially we're talking about the Americans who were, um, let's say, um, Finding it difficult to to deal with people like I mean um, JFK didn't get along with with Willy Brandt because he he was very strong with him um, during the crisis in August sixty one when the city was divided um, from an American and ally point of view there was pretty much a view that the you know the wall was better than another war and that's what they saw uh, coming from that and if if a, a message let's say informal message went back to, to, to uh, the Russians more than these Germans let's say because uh, these Germans essentially weren't recognized by uh, by the Allies that um, you know in their half of Berlin or their sector of Berlin essentially what they did was their business and, and I think that was very much uh, seen and accepted um, and accepted by by the Allies. so in the middle you've got the let's say, the normal Berliners, which is essentially what the the book is about, uh, what all my books are about. It's the the normal people and how they're affected by this kind of superpower, um, uh, let's say, uh, geopolitical uh, spheres of influence between um, the US and, and, uh, essentially, the US and and the Soviet Union. Um, So, yeah, it's... there's all sorts going on. And I, I think even some of the escapes were so um, horrific in many ways I mean there was the example of um one uh, I can't think of his first name, I think it's Gregory Two's but he was he was fourteen um and he was he he was uh, reprimanded for not handing out Communist Party or the A C D party um leaflets. So he escaped through the um, Invaliden Cemetery and he, he swam the, uh, the the Humboldt Canal. So we're very close to the Reichstag, around the museum itself, for the people that know um, Berlin now. And he was shot as a 14-year-old for, for trying to escape by these German guards. He was shot through the lung, I think through the arm, through the leg, but he managed to make it to the other side of, of, the, of the canal. And he was dragged out of the water by, by the West Berlin police who by this time were under fire um, by the East German border guards. They then returned fire, and um, whilst um, um, the young chap survived in the end, one of the uh, East German border guards was actually shot, and he he died. So, of course, there was a huge propaganda story from the East German side. They actually um, uh, took a photograph of, of his body, with you know eyes uh, staring open and they put it on the front page of, of a of a daily newspaper the horror of of, uh, of this and they, they basically said that that he was enticed um, by by the West Berliners or even the West Berlin police uh, and uh, assassinated essentially um, so you've got these kind of things going on uh, and, and and these are, let's say, weekly events at the very you know, at the very least, even sometimes daily events. Um, it, it's it's hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War um, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favourite podcast and I look forward to it every week.
1: To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to com slash donate to find out more.
0: It's hard to explain today what was going on in 61-62, in wasn't it? Because everybody sees the Berlin Wall as something so um, uh, permanent at that time, of course. Many people were surprised when it came down. But, uh, you know, 61-62, there was a, a, a huge challenge to its legitimacy and um, the credibility of these Germans.
2: I think that's what makes uh, Berlin in the Cold War so fascinating to think of a major much metropolitan area in the center of Europe being divided physically um, by a wall um, and why you know, we come back to it uh, sort of again and again. But without giving too much away, um, could you give us an outline of the plot uh, in Coercion?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, maybe I, I could start with a couple of characters because that it, it fits, if you like the um, the story itself. Um, there's a, there's a uh, let's say a teenager. He's, he's sixteen. He's called Gert Brown. He's actually in Mousetrap, and he appears as a kind of um, young, cheeky chappy, um, uh, very um, let's say. A little bit dodgy, if you like, if to 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 use a better word, he was he had a finger in a lot of pies, he was always um, let's like say doing uh deals with different people. Um but his heart was in the right place. He was a very, you know, loyal uh, person. Um yeah, he, he he's a little bit more serious in, in coercion. Um, things have moved on a little bit he's found a girlfriend who he's in West Berlin and and she is uh, in East Berlin and that's his motivation if you like to get involved Uh, he's he's not one to be uh, let's say he's not one to be shy in terms of getting to know let's say the the under the underworld of, of West Berlin um, and he gets involved in, in, in the, the, the Flux Helfer, um organisations, the escape helper organisations, um, because he's just the type of person that he is. Uh, he was going backwards and forwards to East Berlin selling magazines and this kind of thing, and that's how he met his girlfriend. Um, so it's no real surprise that he ends up with, with these kind of people in, in West Berlin, and to be honest, you know, the, the, the let's say the... the the reputation of a lot of these organisa- the, the escape organizations wasn't wonderful mainly because of a lot of the propaganda from from East Berlin uh, they were saying that they were selling places on escape tunnels um people had to pay they were bribing people mm-hmm. um it was you know basically like a they called it a human trafficking type thing that's how how these Germans um put it across um and, and he was involved in these crews who were, um, you know, digging many tunnels. Uh, it, I mean, there, there were two kind of groups. There was a kind of group around, as I've touched on already, student organisations, universities, et cetera, young engineers who were trying to help their friends who they used to study with um, before the wall, before the city was divided, get across back to West Berlin to be able to study again, to continue their studies because they have been denied the right in East Germany. And then this group of kind of more working class um, guys who uh, were just trying to get to family, um, you know, get um, sisters and brothers and mothers and fathers uh, across who didn't manage to get across as the wall was, let's say, all the city was divided. Um, so he gets involved at the, let's say, a very suspicious group. They're close knit, they're techy from hours of, of, of digging in the dark um there's a lot of um um suspicion because of the informants that um they hear and suspect are around the place um and of course, a lot of them are extremely fanatical in what they're doing they're focused on what they're doing um they hate the Stasi and the East Germans with a passion more often than not um because of the you know the tactics they get up to the things they've done to family members. Who've tried to escape, or because they've escaped, you know that the family members are, let's say, held to um, uh, held in some way responsible or imprisoned because uh, because of that. So he's um, he goes across. He he gets, let's say, um, some um, uh, paperwork which enables him to go backwards and forwards as a courier for a lot of these escape, uh, the flood helpers with um, um, passports to, to give to people with paperwork, uh, telling people where they need to be to be able to get to an escape tunnel or somewhere in in the barbed wire fence, let's say in more rural Berlin, uh, some of the park areas and this kind of thing. So he's involved in, he's heavily involved and He falls in love with an East Berlin girl who he's known for a while before the wall went up, and he wants to, or he he believes she wants to come to East Berlin, um, and he gives her her the option because he's he's working on one particular tunnel at this time. So that's if you like Gert Brown, and then there's um, Hans Erdmann, who is um, he's an NVA colonel who we met in Mousetrap who was, let's say, um, part of the – well, we also met me an uprising as a, as a smaller part, but he was um, in the um, operation to seal um, uh, Berlin, seal, seal East Berlin, or the Soviet sector at that time. And um, let's say he was um, – I don't want to give too much away, to be honest. I can't really, <laughs> really say too much, <laughs> but essentially – he Something happened uh, at the end of Mousetrap. There was, um, let's say, an escape attempt. He was there, um, and coercion starts with – because he got shot at that time. So coercion starts with him in uh, a hospital bed um, uh, telling – not not recanting the story, but at least um, uh, hinting what happened and um, how really everything's not quite what it seems. So Hans Herdmann is is appearing to want to defect to um, West Berlin, but um, let's say he uh, and he still wants to get out in coercion. That's essentially he still wants to defect in, in coercion. I don't think that's giving too much away, but uh, that's those are the two main characters. And then there are let's say lots of characters that we've seen in the other books as well. Uh,
2: that's one thing um, about this book in conjecture with all the other books is there are many twists and turns as um the gray scale of life in berlin in the period plays itself out um which is, is indeed what i think makes the book so readable but um so how do you do your research uh for this book uh and indeed for your other books is it a lot of time spent in the archives or do you sort approach it different ways um, I, I think
0: because, because I'm such a, let's say, a fan of this period, you, you know, and, I, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are the same, you, you read so many different things over the years, you pick up so many things. I've been to Berlin many times. Um, I, so that the history is, is kind of indelibly marked uh, on you. You understand, you know the stories. Um, I mean one of the sad things for me is that i I know the streets of Berlin by name i could the map is in in my head, which is a bit it might come across a bit strange for people. I even know that city um better than where I live now in terms of names of streets obviously i know where where to go to go now, but I know Berlin by the street names and Many of the, the – obviously the street names have changed over time as well, um, let's say after World War Two, and then again after the fall of the, uh, of the DDR, if you like. So all those things are, are indelibly marked. So when I go out there, um, I, I mean, the big thing for me, of course, I, I don't write – I'm not writing these wonderful nonfiction books like um, – um, um, Frederick Taylor, or you know the 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 tunnels book that, that Greg Mitchell uh, wrote as well. I'm not so so they obviously they have to be very factual and very clear. Uh, the research has to be meticulous. Uh, when you're writing fiction, at least you've got a, the, the the sort of free hand, of course, to be able to base it on the history, but you have a free hand, let's say, to to change things slightly, to uh, adapt it. Um, but taking inspiration from things that, that actually happen. So I, I find myself quite lucky to be able to do that. And, and, and to be quite honest, yes, the research is there. It's from you know, first-hand interviewed accounts, from reading these books, from from going to, to uh, and some of the wonderful museums that they've got in, in Berlin for all these different topics. Um, but, but I find going there and going to the places where – uh, a lot of these events took place it is far more inspirational um, uh, to me and looking at some of the old photographs i mean on, on Twitter, I put out the, the old photographs all the time there's no need for commentary around it for me If you just put out some of the some of the photographs are absolutely wonderful they 're so atmospheric of course it's it's very brutal in terms of um barbed wire everywhere, border guards to many people it's it 's abhorrent but to me it 's very um, it crystallizes a picture and, and and enables you to imagine how you might feel as a person and therefore that makes it a lot easier to write to imagine characters to have, imagine how they might feel you know to empathize with them uh, and to come up with with the stories that you know eventually you know come out and and the way you link if you like all the books together so research yes i you know it, um it, it's there of course uh, and you try as much as you can to to get everything right in terms historically speaking um but you you're allowed to let your imagination run a little bit Uh, to adapt things, if you like, Um, but whilst trying to keep as close as you can to to things that actually happened. Um, You know, there are so many things that were going on in 1962 that it's difficult to get across to people now um, how how things like that could be going on. I mean, you've even got the West Berlin police blowing holes with explosives in the Berlin Wall, which is... When you think about that, um, that's how, um, how much the, the authorities in West Berlin were pushing not only the East Germans but pushing the Americans and the Allies to act and do something about what was going on. The, the, I mean, there's one incident on Bernauerstrasse where the, the, the re, there is literally a 10-foot um, hole in the wall That there was actually um, it was something to do with one of the West Berlin policemen who was involved with one of the escape organisations, or at least had links um, on this side. There was a cruise boat even where you had a family of East East Berliners who um, hired a cruise boat for on on, on, um, part of the uh, of the Landwehr Canal, and they hijacked it to get across to the other side. And, you know, they were all in the cabin and there were bullets, you know, many, lots of bullets coming across from, from the East German guards. They all, the family managed to get across to to, to West Berlin. And then the two guys who were running the, 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 if you like, the pleasure boats went back to East Germany. Obviously, they had family there. They went back to East Berlin. So, you know, it, it's very difficult to make people understand now what was going on. But if you put yourself in that position, it actually is it's quite easy to write those things because um, you can only imagine how you feel about your own kids or your own family. It's not difficult then to go to the next step to understand the lengths that you might have gone to, 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 let's say, be reunited or to be, as as people might say, free um, and on the other side. So, yeah, that's... Let's say research, yes, but it's more about inspiration and, and um, imagination for me, if you like.
2: Much of what's in your book is based on fact, thinking about TV channels supporting the digging of tunnels and uh, East German swimming stars being arrested for uh, digging tunnels. So I think that's what gives it a real strong element of, uh, of realism.
0: My, I, I'm a historian, so I, that's something which, uh, well, I said I have a history, history degree, so it's something which always um, fascinated me. It's something which, which, which you know, it has to be right. You know, so many times you pick up a book and it, it's uh, if you feel. That the the facts or um, something is, is not quite right is very difficult to get into the characters to get into the story for me anyway at least and I'm sure it's the same for for other people so um, from that side of it yes the history is is, is really important um, to to get those let's say get the facts right so the research and, and you know you've touched on it yourself when you say that the, the how, would you, how would you how do how do you uh, make the research. It's something which is is really important, but I think I'm trying to get across to the fact that, to me, it's almost stamped there already. Um, so, whilst you you obviously check a lot of facts to hopefully make sure that you've not made um, some some horrible mistake about which street leads to which street or um, um, exactly how it was at a particular time to to get through a border, um, you know all these different things that that. that, that can undermine um uh, a plot. uh so he's obviously trying to get those things um trying to get those things right. Uh, i think some of the other things which which in this book i wanted to um explore was a bit about um, again in 1961 62 around this time is is the legitimacy of of the ddr in a lot of people's minds. And I think that's something which maybe I'm a bit guilty of in the other books. Um, I I wanted to, let's say, put the other side of the story because there is a a very, uh, or there was at that time, a very strong, um, you know, anti fascist aspect to to what the DDR was all about. And, And many people, you know, and you can see why. If you if you look at what was going on at the time, believed uh, believed in that, um, you know. And um, if you think about it, a lot of what the the DDR, a lot of the propaganda as it was, uh, they were putting out about the West German government employing ex Nazi Party minister, so, sorry, um, uh, members in very let's say uh, positions of power positions of influence, Um, it was true. You know, I I mean, I I was only talking to a a colleague this week whose wife is German, her father, um, he served in the Luftwaffe and he he was basically um, Mm -hmm. fighting like anybody else might uh, in a war. He was called up. Um, he, um, He told me he was bitter and resentful of the fact that in, in West Germany, when he came back from the war, by the time he got out of his his, his prison of war camp, when he came back to West Germany, many of the party members had influential jobs, the best jobs, and you know the DDR and the government of the the DDR at that time point, were, were, were very quick to point this out to people, and it, it, many of the many of the times it was true. So there was a, a very strong legitimacy to, to the DDR. For a lot of people, with their anti-fascist stand, and also the fact that, um, you know, of course, what happened when the Russians came to Berlin, when they came to Germany, in terms of of, of the, um, let's say, um, atrocities, almost. Uh, I don't think that's too strong a word for what happened when, when the Russians invaded. You know, in some. In some areas, they still had a lot of support because of of, the, of their stance against the, the, the Nazis and, and many of the, the, the things that they'd would um, they done during the war. And I think there was a strong legitimacy, and, and that's one of the things that I try to bring out in this book, mm-hmm. and probably something which has been understated in the past. It, it You know, it's not just about people trying to escape. A lot of people wanted to be, you know, they believed in, the fact that something needed to be done to stop people fleeing the country for whatever reason, and if socialism to a certain extent was to be given its head, then you know um, something like a wall. Even for a short-term period, was something that had to be done, and that's what some people believed. It's, it's not—I wouldn't say it was a maybe people not particularly in a majority, but it was a, quite a popular view at that time. So that's something which I've tried to bring out in the book, um, you know, to explore that that side of things. It's not just about you know uh, the, the, the 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 bright lights of West Germany and West Berlin and and um, and the West, as you would say it's about something a bit, a bit deeper than that. And, uh, something, um, yeah, let's say in, in, in and around Berlin, but also in and around, um, let's say the, the, the Soviet sector.
2: When you go back to Berlin now, what is your feeling of how Berliners and Germany more broadly deals with its Cold War past?
0: That's a good question. Um, I, I'm i not sure I'm, I'm qualified to, to answer that too much. I, I think what I can reflect on or what I can say is that um, looking at obviously the past, the Cold War is obviously linked to what happened in, in the Second World War and even before that, uh, in many ways, it's a result of, of, of what happened before. So I, I think the way... Um, People have, let's say, the the German population generally have reacted to um, the events of the Second World War since, Um, let's say, the far more reflective and um, respectful of of what's happened in in many ways. And I think a lot of that has has to do with the, the, the two opposing like say, sides of 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 the uh, of the spectrum. So there was a very broad view within the the let's say the, the modern day state of Germany. Um, so I, I think it's a very progressive way of looking at their past. Probably more so than, than than some other countries. As far as the Cold War is concerned, yeah, that's a bit more. You know, this is after uh, the Second World War in terms of of. of uh, what's happened and uh difficult to say how how uh, i i mean in, in many ways if you if you look at the cold War mm. as um as a separate entity there's not much choice within mm. you know, within Germany about um how they deal with it because it, it's imposed on them as a result of of let's say the outcome of the, of the of the of the second world war. Um, and it's difficult for for it to be any different as to how it is. Uh, I I think it's very much the German way, the progressive way now, not to to hide from their past. So they they obviously realised that there was a very much acceptance of why it was like it was, even if they didn't agree with it. And, And I think... I always try to bring across very much the Berliners view um, as to what they're feeling about what's happened. If you look at 1962 and you come to, for example, the anniversary, the one year anniversary of, of the wall, um, even the, the view of the allies, um, which of, of course wasn't always uh, um, popular and popular, um, Let's say more the the Americans, the the British, and the French. Uh, even though there was there was a, a popularity surge after the blockade, um, by '62, and especially what happened with with Peter Fechter, that this incident um, and and the things that were leading up to the anniversary. So we're, we're talking August 1962 now. Um, there was a, almost quite a strong anti. Uh, U.S. Uh, anti-allied feeling um, at that time, and then of course when you had this incident where um, I think there were there were two guys, Peter Fechter and um, I think uh, I'm trying to think the name of the other uh, Peter Cool, not Peter. I, think, I, I can't think of his first name, but but essentially he escaped, and uh, Peter Fechter was in hiding behind one of the the, the stanchions and, and was shot at the wall. Um, right on on Zimmerstrasse, which is just along from Checkpoint Charlie. It's very central. It's very um, um, in the public eye, if you like. And it probably, whilst everyone knew that people were getting shot, um, jumping off roofs around Bernauerstrasse, being shot while trying to swim um, the canals and the waterways, this was something which was very much in the face of everybody, right at the anniversary, and I, think it's, I think it's 17th of August, so it's, it's four days after the anniversary, oh. when there'd been riots um, oh. or, or near riots around the wall, people, there'd been um, protests on the S-Bahn, which of course was, was East German uh, oh. or, or East Berlin. Um, people were uh, using taxis to, to um, slow down the traffic, this was leading up to what happened with Peter Fechter. Um, things changed around this time. So so when Peter Fechter was left dying at the foot of the wall, uh, there's a story of the American soldiers saying, look, it's it's not our problem. It's on East German soil. We can do nothing about it. It's actually reflected in the book in coercion. Um it's something where then there was a bit of a change in the way people viewed. I think the Americans, the Soviet soldiers that were coming across um, the wall to the to the Soviet memorial just on the um, um, uh, just the other side of the, the Brandenburg Gate for a week, the coaches were bricked, the windows were put through. The British had to guard the Russians coming to the the the, the monument. Um This was a real danger point, if you like. The Berlin was always one incident away from a crisis at this time, and, and this was another one, if you like, um, simply because of the inaction. You know, it, they left a person to die at the foot of the wall who was crying out, you know, why don't you help me? Uh, and I think it was very poignant. And, and, of course, there was the photographer, I think it was... Um, um, Wolfgang Behrer, who, who managed to get up and it's, again it's covered in coercion the, the, the actual he's, he's pushing his camera through the barbed wire on the top of the wall to take pictures of of, of you know um, Paul Peter Fechter dying there um, and it's a very emotive uh, image you know the East German border guards didn't know what to do, they left him there for 40 minutes that then they set off smoke bombs, which was pathetic, to try and cover the fact that they were lifting his body and, and taking him away. These all, all these events, you know, changed changed. I think views of the Berliners, or of uh, even the Allies at that time, and it took quite a long time for that to to to, to heal. So, yeah, uh, talking about how the Germans have dealt with their Cold War past, it, it's it, you know. Everyone's got a responsibility in it, um, no more so than the uh, the superpowers and, and other people uh, at that time. Um, it's a it's a real difficult one to answer, I would say, but you know, so many things going on and changing views because of, of, of the way things were dealt with. Um, maybe, maybe if if different people would have uh, been in charge at that time um, or in that sector just one action of an individual could have changed things you know, quite markedly in terms of uh, the reaction or uh, crisis or anything else. Uh, so it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a difficult one to answer, but I think it, that around this time and around the, 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 the time of the book, that there's so many things that, that are going on and that, that um, shaped views for, for many, many years afterwards.
2: Presumably, then, this isn't an end to these books. You must have something else in the pipeline, surely.
0: Uh, well, it's a good question. I, I think, um, I mean, I've written other things uh, since. Uh, I'm working on, on a, a, let's say, something quite different. Um, whilst, believe it or not, there, there is a link back to the books that have already been written in, in some of the characters, all, although it's quite, um, I wouldn't say tenuous, but it but it's inside... I've actually written um, another book, which is set in 1983, 84, but starts, uh, believe it or not, in in, uh, in East Berlin, um, and this is around uh, the UK miners' strike of of um, uh, 84, basically 84, but it's, it's a bit into 85 as well, um, and it's an alternate history book. Um, but it starts with a kind of a very interesting event in 1977 when um one of of of, of um uh, let's say um it, it's actually one of Arthur Scargill's editors uh, for the Yorkshire Miner at that time and this is a, it's a true story was was um, arrested picketing at, um, um uh, in London and um he felt he was threatened um, and he he took off, he went to the airport and he flew to East Germany, he flew to East Berlin and he asked for a political asylum because he felt he was being persecuted in, in the UK or he feared for his life or that of his family in some way or another. And that inspires, if you like, the start of the book. Um so it's uh, it's something which then comes back to um, the UK minor strike. It's it, it follows, um, let's say, a little bit about the media during the minor strike, but it's also linked to um, uh, some of the spy agencies as well, uh, and links back to it does have links back to Berlin. So it's it's it's. Uh, interesting in terms of it's a different totally different topic to what i've done before it's in the cold war period without i would say being um something which which is is specifically um linked to 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 your um podcast but uh, um or, or the topic of of the cold war but it's it's certainly set around that time it's in the context of it and um a little bit in berlin and i'm writing a sixth book as a sequel to that, which is is around, um, um, I'd say, um, but back to East Germany, which is in the 80s, and also Ireland or Northern Ireland. Um, so uh, that's all to come. It will take some time in between uh, in between working and doing different things and other projects. But uh, yeah, I'm certainly uh, working on that and um, enjoying it, um, looking at uh, different topics, but. Uh, still berlin always manages manages to uh, to get in there somewhere
2: fantastic well thank you very much indeed for coming back on Cornwall conversations uh it's been a real pleasure to talk to you
0: thanks a lot james appreciate it
1: and we have further photos videos and information on this episode in our show notes which will show as a link in your podcast app Don't forget, if you'd like to get one of those Cold War Conversations coasters help keep us on the air, then head over to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. If you can't wait for the next episode, do visit our Facebook discussion group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War Conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye. Thanks again to all our financial supporters of the podcast, but a special thanks to our Politburo level patrons, who are Sam Hardwick, Nicholas Butter, and Jeffrey Jones, who are supporting us at thirty US dollars per month. Thank you. Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com/slash donate by becoming a monthly or annual supporter. You'll enjoy ad free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to ColdWarConversations.com donate for more information.